Amen. Well, um, I kind of, uh, well, I didn't lie so much as maybe just deceive all of you that, uh, that uh, which is lying, um, uh, that we were going to be back in the book of Philippians. But um, I actually do have a quiet time uh, with Jesus and read other scriptures other than what we're uh, looking at. And um, in some of my other studies, we came, kind of came across the passage before us this morning in the book of Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 7 and verses 13 and 14. And uh, just felt led to be able to lead that. Is that okay? Is that all right? All right. If it's not, uh, I'm sorry. I'm going to do it anyway. And uh, don't have time to prepare a new one. So here we are. And uh, let me say this. Recently, I had somebody kind of ask me, uh, hey, what was the greatest sermon you've ever, do you think was ever preached? And I think this person, by knowing my background and education and things, was expecting me to probably answer maybe a sermon by Charles Spurgeon or uh, by John Calvin or uh, maybe by Jonathan Edwards or, or, or John MacArthur or John Piper. Well, that's a lot of Johns, okay? So uh, a lot of Johns. And so uh, probably thinking that I was going to refer to one of their specific sermons, and, and I didn't. I said, well, it might surprise you. The, the greatest sermon ever preached was by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, in Matthew, that's right, in Matthew uh, chapter 7, or here, here right in front of us, uh, 5 through 7. And in it, it's an amazing message because you guys think sometimes I have a lot of points and, uh, you know, you're hoping only for three, maybe get lucky with two, uh, like this morning, have two. But Jesus had, like, a, an amazing amount of numbers. He, he sits down and he preaches to this huge crowd of people, and he preaches on just about every imaginable subject you can think of. He, he's preaching and he begins to touch on things like anger and lust and divorce and oaths and retaliation and loving your enemies and giving to the needy and Laying down tre- or, or, or laying up treasures in heaven and anxiety and judging others. So he gives all this and explains all of this uh, in this sermon. It's the greatest sermon that was ever preached. And when you go through it, if you're not careful, you can kind of lose sight of the whole purpose of his message. The whole purpose of his message was to show you and I and those that he was originally speaking to of what it looks like to live as a citizen in the kingdom of God. According to Jesus Christ, living a life unto God looks radically different than looking, uh, living a life unto the world. According to Jesus Christ, living a life unto God looks radically different than living a life unto the world. Let me give you two examples of this that Jesus gives in his own sermon. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said... Uh, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He was basically letting out. He says, this is how the world lives. The world says, I'm going to treat you like you treat me. If you treat me good, I'll treat you good. If, boy, if you treat me bad, whoo, have mercy on your soul, right? He says, that's the way the world lives. It's the way it flows. Jesus says, but I tell you, for those who are in the kingdom of God, he goes, we don't hate our enemies. We, we love them and we pray for them. In fact, in the verse right before the ones that we're studying, he says, you don't treat others as they treat you. You treat others as you would want them to treat you. These are two radically different ways of living. Uh, Another example would be when Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, do not murder. He says, but I tell you, in other words, everybody knows that murdering's wrong. Even murderers know that murdering's wrong. How do we know? The Bible says in Romans chapter 2 that God has written the law of God on the hearts of every individual. So that without the law, without the scriptures, we're even guilty because God has written that law of what is right unto God uh, on our hearts. It's a conscience. We all know that. And so even though we know it, people still do it. 
But Jesus comes along and says, you know, it's a completely different for those who are in the kingdom of God, citizens of kingdom. It's not just murdering people. He says, if you have hatred towards somebody else in your heart, you've already committed murder. You are guilty of murder in the judgment, he says. See, these are two radically different ways of living. So what Jesus does is he takes all these chapters to lay all that out. And then at the end of his sermon, he does what every preacher does at the end of his sermon, is he calls for the audience to make a choice. He says, here's the audience, here's the choice. Live unto God or live unto the world. You can't do both, you have to make a choice. And from the beginning of time, from the beginning of human history, God has been preaching that same message. By the way, people oftentimes say, well, Mike, you're not so much of a preacher, you're more of a teacher. I don't even know what that means. I gotta be honest with you. I don't know if that means I need to spit more, kick more, yell more, uh, because that's preaching, and then you don't do that, so it's therefore teaching. Let, Let me try to give a little class discussion, and this is free, by the way. This is free. Let me tell you what preaching is. Teaching is when we just teach truth. Preaching is whenever you deliver God's truth, and then you call for a response, You call for a change. You call to make a choice in light of the word that's being preached. And no matter what style somebody's preaching, if they call you to make a change and a decision in light of the truth that they're presenting, that's preaching. And God has been preaching this truth from the beginning of time. He's given man a choice to make. And and, and we, we see it. Stop and think for a moment. We see it in the garden. There's a choice for Adam and Eve to make. They either refrain from eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and if they do, that is the way unto God, a life unto God. If they eat of the tree that he told them not to eat, then that's them living their life unto the world. There's a choice. We get to, we we actually preach through the book of of Joshua, and in Joshua chapter 24, the people are kind of going back and forth, if they will, between the the gods of Canaan and, and the one true God, and he says, choose today whom you will serve. And then he goes on and shows, he makes a, a choice. He says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Uh, we see in Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 21, people were doing the same exact thing again. And he says, how long will you waver between the two opinions? He goes, you keep going back and forth, the world and God, the world and God, the world and God. He goes, choose today. You can't do both. We see that in the New Testament. Man can't serve God and mammoth, God and money, God and any other false gods. You can't do one. Choose one. So here he is once again, very consistent with the message that he's preached through all eternity. Make a choice. Live unto God or live unto the world. So what he does here is he gives us, not only commands us and tells us to make a choice, He also tells us what the two choices are, but here what he's going to do in this context, in these two verses, is he's going to illustrate what these, what what, what they're like, And, and he uses an illustration of two gates. There's a wide gate which demonstrates and represents a life which is lived unto the world and for the world. The narrow gate illustrates and demonstrates and stands for a life that is lived unto God. Now, he gives the two illustrations, he illustrates it, then he gives us one more thing. Here's the idea. He gives us the answer of which one we ought to choose. Now, for any of us who struggle with making decisions, especially in important things, anybody in here, right? This is for you. So what Jesus says is you got to make a choice. Here's your choices. And he goes, and by the way, this is the one you should choose. He says in the very beginning of that scripture, he says, enter by the narrow gate. Of the two gates there are to choose, this is the one you ought to choose. Again, helps us with making the decision. And and we ought to take his word for it. My wife has a hard time making decisions. 
Um, I saw that, should have seen that when we first started dating uh, to get married. We were often on like dating, not dating to the point where we're like, I don't even know what we're doing. Uh, love me, love me not. That was like, like physical, I mean like real. Like she loves me, she loves me not. That was like a daily event. I didn't know what was going on. God bless her soul. But if you had to be, if you had to marry me, you might be indecisive as well. And so, um, so, so she, she, thank you, brother. All right, all right. And so we, uh, I appreciate that. And so, so with 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 my wife, um, she she can't make up her mind when we go to restaurants, especially if we go to a restaurant that's brand new. We've never been there before. Now, here's how I roll. When I go to a restaurant, I want everybody to know immediately what they have because I am hungry. And when they come, I don't even let them, when they let me get your drinks first. Oh, we're ready to order. And we got any of those, right? We're ready to order. You guys ready? Get it out. You know, and so if we got some of those, that's me. My wife wants to take her time. This is an event for her, all right? And so she doesn't know what she wants. She's looking through the whole thing. She's reading everything. Then she says to the waiter, and she does something brilliant at this point. She turns to the waiter, waitress, servant. I don't know what the politically correct thing is to say, wait staff. All right, they come over, and, and she basically says to them, she goes, so what do you suggest? What, what do you think is good on this thing? Now, this is brilliant, because what she's doing is she's tapping into the resident professional. Uh, this person has seen this food made. She's seen who's made it. She's, they, they see the ingredients that ultimately go into it. Uh, uh, they've smelt it. They've served it. Uh, they've heard what people have to say about the food. They've most likely tasted it themselves. And when they come back and go, that's not very good, but this is good, she goes, I'll take that. Right? She'll t- I'll take that. She has no one. Her faith is just in this person. Why? Because they're the resident professional. They know what they're talking about. And here, when it comes to choosing these two gates, listen to me. Jesus is the resident professional. Jesus knows exactly what it looks like to live a life for the world. Because as he has created every man, woman, and child from the beginning of time, he has watched And he has seen and he has evidenced every single one of them choose the broad road, the wide road that leads to ultimate destruction. He's seen that. He knows what it looks like. But he also knows the narrow way. Why? Because in this narrow way, which is a life unto God, this life unto God, he and he alone is the only one who has lived that life perfectly from the beginning of time. He's lived in perfect submission to God and for God, not for his will, but for the will of God to be done. So he knows. So when he says to us, when this resident professional says to us, we need to choose the right gate, the narrow gate, we ought to be able to listen. Now, here's what Jesus says. And so we're going to unpack the, the remaindering time. Have you followed me so far? So here's what he's going to do at this very last thing. He's going to show us, and he's going to tell us and show us very clearly why. Why you need to choose the narrow gate, all right? So here are the two choices that he gives, and he's going to explain why we ought to do it. Choice number one, here it is, living unto the world is your first choice, all right? Only two choices. Here's your first choice, living unto the world. He he begins to explain why you ought not to go through this way. First of all, this gate, this way is wide, and it's easy, it's wide and it's easy. You could see that right there. He says, he says, for the gate is wide and the way is easy. Did you, you notice that? You see that in your text, right? Some of you are like, no, I don't, I'm not looking down. Some of you are, okay? You see that in the text, making sure we understand that. When he says that it's wide, uh, I, I, this is how I interpret that. This is what I think he's getting at. I think he's saying that it's popular. This is, this is where all the cool kids go. 
All right, this is, this is where the majority of people who are making this decision, this is the gate that they ultimately enter into. This is an all-inclusive, all-accepting gate. They take one all, they, they take one and all. If you want to come, you come. We have no stipulations, we have no rules. Uh, we live according to Outback's you know, little saying, no rules, just right. You just, you just come. And so it's all-inclusive. They don't care uh, what kind of religion you are. It includes all religions, Buddhism, Muslim, if you're Muslim, if you're Hindu, if your religion is to have no religion at all, which is the fastest growing religion in the world, then guess what? There's room for you. It doesn't matter who you believe in or what you believe in. In fact, there's even room for those that call themselves Christians. If you call yourself a Christian by name alone, but don't hold and submit yourself to the tenets and actual beliefs of Christianity, then guess what? Even if you call yourself a Christian, you're welcome through this gate as well. It's all-inclusive for all religions. It includes all sexual preferences as well. If you prefer homosexuality, hey, that's okay with us, man. We're not here to judge. You come, you do your thing, whatever it is that you want to do. If you're bisexual, that's fine. If you're just kind of playing the field, that kind of thing, you're not really sure who you are or what it is, you're fine. You come, no problem. You could be heterosexual, that's not a problem, but we need to make sure that you're either promiscuous in some way, either committing adultery or, 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 or fornication, uh, having relationships outside of marriage. It doesn't matter if you do any of that. You're welcome, and there's enough room for you to take this path with whatever your religious preference, whatever your, your, your sexual preference is, and whatever your moral standard may or may not be. So your moral standard, you may come, and you might be somebody who is self-righteous. You might be somebody who is hypocritical. You might be somebody who is proud. You might have what appears to be high standards, at least from a worldly perspective, or you may have no standards at all. In fact, you may be so messed up that you don't know the difference between right and wrong. You call evil good and good evil. Here's the great thing. Don't worry about it. There is plenty of room. There is literally billions and billions of ways that you can enter into this gate. It's, it's, you just piece it together. I had an a, a Old Testament professor call it a Burger King hermeneutic. You can have it your way. Isn't that wonderful? You can have it your way. And so the danger, though, of course, of all of this is that whenever there's something popular, you and I begin to think that it's right. If you grew up as an American, how many? All right, then you're in grave danger of this, okay? You're in grave danger of this because all of our life, because we've had more of a Judeo-Christian kind of upbringing and in, in country, we could always sit there and go, hey, man, majority rules, right? That's how we live as Americans, majority rules. But then we begin to think that the majority is always right, and they're not. I think we can kind of see that very clearly, can we not? Do you ever feel like you're starting to be a little bit more in the minority? Just because the majority of people believe something doesn't necessarily mean that it is right. And it's what Jesus is ultimately warning us against. He goes, this is the popular thing. This is the wide thing. But I'm telling you, it's not the right way. It's wide. It's popular. But it's also easy. This, is, this way is easy, he says. And what does that mean? Well, it means that there's no friction. You don't have to go against the grain. You don't have to go against the crowd. You don't have to stick out like a sore thumb. You don't have to feel goofy. 
right? You could be a part of it. You've got comrades from everywhere. You, you just all get along uh, with, with, with each other. You don't have to uh, stand for anything. You don't have to be disagreeable on anything. You don't have to defend even your own views. Why? Because your views is, is just as legitimate as, as anybody else's view. It's, it's an easy, easy way. No conflict, no, 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 no struggle against society and, and those around us. But it's also an easy way because it's self-centered. It's, it's, it's easy because you really don't have to worry about anybody else. You just do what is right in your own eyes. You, you find a way to go. You find something that you like and you go for it. You live and you let live. Uh, if it feels good, you do it. There, there's no restraint. You just do whatever it is you want. The whole world is now able to revolve around you. And here's the wonderful thing. If you live like that, there's only one standard. It doesn't matter what you do or how creepy it might look to somebody else. The only ultimate standard is this. Does it make you happy? Are you happy? Okay. Or, or, or if you're not happy, you could leave your wife. If that makes you happy, that's okay. Just leave your wife. Leave your husband Spend all the money on you and to be able to store up treasures on heaven. Does that make you happy? It's okay. Brother, if it makes you happy, just go ahead and do it. Now, when you look at this from a certain perspective, you see why it's attractive, don't you? You see why it's attractive. You see why people would ultimately say things like this. They would look at it and go, man, that seems like a good path. I mean, it seems like everybody's inclusive. Everybody gets along. It's kind of like the old, you know, youth group where we get around the bonfire, sing kumbaya, just I love you, I, you love me. Everything is fun. There's no standards. I could do it my way, old Frank Sinatra, whatever. Nobody's telling me what to do. I don't have to hold to anybody else's rules. No rules, just right. But this is not the path that God says that we ought to live. I think some of you, especially as, as we begin older, I think that we begin to understand the truth that, that the, the truth is the best way is not always the easy way. How many would agree with that? In fact, the opposite is just true. In fact, anything truly worth doing is usually hard. Sometimes I, I'll say that to people in marriage. They never were able to work through the hard spots to get to the ultimate sweet spots in marriage. They give up too soon. They give up too soon. Uh, maybe even walking in the relationship with Christ, they give up too soon. They don't go through the difficulty, through the hardship. Whether it be getting in shape, you got to go through the hardship. Not everything easy is really worth working for or worth it in the end. Uh, let me give you an example of this. When I was in my undergrad, when I first went to college, I was brilliant. And... Uh, <clears throat> I was brilliant not in the academic phase, uh, but I was brilliant in not going to class. And uh, at PBA, Palm Beach Atlantic uh, College, or now university, go sailfish, um, we, um, we, that's right, sailfish. And so we, let, let me say this, we, um, uh, I found out in, in freshman orientation that there was this thing called drop ad. Uh, if you've been to college, you know what this is. Drop ad means that you can drop classes and add classes over the first two weeks of class. That was brilliant to me. So I said, so let me get this right. I even asked in freshman orientation. So you can, if you can, add, you can choose classes. If you don't like them at the end of the two weeks, you can drop all those and pick up new ones. They're like, yeah, okay, I got it. I went and picked five classes that I had no interest whatsoever to be able to choose so that I didn't have to go to that class for two weeks. So I, I don't know why you're nodding your head no. So I got all of my roommates and other people, and they're like, dude, this is brilliant, because here's the brilliance of it. 
At the end of that two weeks, you drop them all, you pick up the classes that you want, and you're not penalized for those absences. In fact, in the new classes, you still have three to five more absences that you can miss. So that was the easiest semester in all of my education I ever had, and it was the most fun. We spend more time with the homies, all right, at the beach, goofing off, doing nothing than any other aspect through, through whether master's, doctor, or whatever. It was the most fun. The end of the semester came, and I got a letter in my mailbox, and the letter in the mailbox said this, and it was from the office of the academic dean. So I went to and opened it up, and as I opened it up, it says, we regretfully inform you, that's never good, we regretfully inform you that you have lost your scholarships, which made it possible for me to get there, because you have not been able to maintain the GPA that you were supposed to. So honey, thank you for paying back my student loans. That was the reason I just came clean, all right? That, that was it, because that first semester lost it. And then it says, and you're also required to make an appointment over the next week with the academic dean because you are on academic probation from this point on. If you continue with these grades, you'll be dismissed and expelled from the school. So now here's what we see. It was fun. It was popular. I was cool with my, with my homies, right? It was easy. Here's the problem. It led to my almost destruction. Jesus is saying there is a wide, popular, easy way but the reason I tell you not to take it is because it leads to destruction. And the destruction that he's referring to is the destruction of the judgment of God, the righteous judgment of God, that you will stand before God, you will give an account for your life, and at that particular point, you will be judged for your sins, and you will receive a right and just punishment, which is eternity in hell, separated from God, with no hope of relief, none. That's the judgment that will happen. Now, to finish this point up, let me say this last thing, and I want you to get this. We as Christians love to be able to say things, and, we, and, and, and our skin curls up. It just it crawls. When we hear uh, lost people say things like, all roads lead to God. All roads lead to God. Now listen, in one aspect, and I'm about to talk to that in a minute, that's wrong. In another aspect, they're absolutely right. All roads do lead to God. I don't care what billionth different change or change up you have. They all lead to God, but almost every single one of them lead to God in his judgment. We saw just a couple weeks ago that the Bible says that on that day, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That will be said even out of, either out of a submissive, thankful heart for the propagation of, the, of understanding the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ, or it will be said in hatred and bitterness and resentment. But either way, it will be said. All roads do lead to God. Almost all of them lead to God in judgment. Only one leads to God in life. This brings us to the second choice. Choice number two, life lived unto God. This is not a broad way. This is not a wide way, and this is not an easy way. This is a narrow, immensely hard, difficult way. Immensely narrow, immensely hard. Where there are billions of different ways to enter into the wide gate. He says there's, it's narrow to get into the small gate. How narrow is it? It's 
He doesn't say, here's a handful of ways to enter in this way. He doesn't say, there's a few ways or, or a couple ways. He says, there is only one way through this particular gate. Now, that is narrow. It's the very definition of narrow. When you tell people there's only one way to do it, we know that in a marriage, right? I mean, there's a million ways to do it, but we're like, yeah, but there's only one right way to do this. There's only one way, right way to iron a shirt, right? You're like, you're an idiot, right? And, and so we, we understand that. But Jesus comes up, and the Bible says, no, how narrow is it? It's so narrow that there's only one way, and that is it. No other way. And so what way is this? This way is through, just to be very clear so we're all on the same page, many of you know it, it's through the person of Jesus Christ. It's through repenting of sin. Let me explain what that is. It's through you and I recognizing that we are sinners against a holy God and against our creator, that we have disobeyed him, that we've been dishonest with him. We've lived things our own way. We've done things our own way in rebellion against, against God. And the outcome of that is that we are deserving of his righteous wrath, which is hell and his judgment. But we have somehow, by the grace of God, heard the good news of Jesus Christ, that God loved us so that he sent his son, that he would die in our place and become a substitute so that whoever would repent and turn from their wicked ways and place their faith, their trust completely in Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. And understanding that he did what we could not do. And he died and he paid the sin debt that we could not pay ourselves. And we receive that by faith. We trust in him. And, now notice this. And it's demonstrated for the fact that we live a life unto God. That's the evidence that that faith took place. We live a life unto God. That's the evidence. It's not how you're saved. You're not saved by living a life unto God, doing good things, but it, the demonstration that you are on that path, that, you, that that is true, that your faith is real, is that you live a life unto God. That's the evidence, and that's the good news. You say, you say is that the only way? According to the Savior, who dictates the terms of salvation, he says, yeah, it's, it's the only one way. It's a narrow, narrow way, and that's what makes it so unpopular. Do you understand? Understand. Now, number two. First is narrow. Second is it's hard. Why is it hard? Some of you are really, really going to understand this. It's, it's hard. It's difficult because it goes against the flesh. It goes against every sinful fleshly compulsion in you. Your flesh is screaming to take part in sin, to be gratified in sin, you want every aspect of it. Remember the broad side, the broad, the, the broad way, the wide way says just give in to it. This side says deny yourself and put the flesh to death. Not just immediate decision, but it is a decision that you and I make every single day of our am I losing you? Every single day of your life, you are dying to sin and self, and I feel that in me every day. Do you feel that in you? Every day, fighting the selfishness, fighting the self-centeredness, fighting the lust of my heart, the deception of my heart, the pride of my heart, you're fighting it, fighting it, and this is the requirement. That's what makes it so hard. You're no longer living for what makes you happy, but now you're living for what pleases God, and every day you learn to put the flesh to death, and that is extremely difficult to do why else is it hard not only because you're going against the flesh but because you're going against the culture in which you live 
You're going against the culture in which you live. The word narrow here is interesting because the Greek word there for narrow uh, literally means and in, in speaks of um, um, uh, pain. It speaks of uh, ridicule. It speaks of persecution. And it speaks of all of these things specifically in the light in the light of being persecuted for your faith and because of what you believe. So this narrow gate is a painful gate. Let me, let me re- remind you of something like this. If you think coming to faith in Christ and living on this planet is going to make, give you a better, easier life, it's, gonna be, it's better, but it's going to make an easier life, you don't understand what's being said here by Jesus. Jesus himself is saying, it's not as though you're going to get on this easy path of living And then occasionally you're going to have to deal with the difficulties of life. He says the life, this way that you're about to enter on is the difficult path. It's not a part of it. It defines it. This is hard. This is difficult. It's not easy. And this is, I mean, is this a way to sell a religion and get people to sign up for your club? Come and suffer. Come and die to self. Come and quit being selfish. Die to other people. Live for a glorious cause. Deny yourself. Pick up the cross and follow him. This is not a way you attract people. I love Billy Graham. I praise God what he does, but I have not yet heard him say this, right? I haven't heard oftentimes. I don't often hear people do this. The the big wigs that you call in don't sit there and go, hey, guys, here's the distinction. Uh, You can't live for yourself. You have to live for God. You have to deny yourself and understand that if you follow him, you're going to suffer for the rest of this human, your your, your human life. It's just not something that usually really, you know, is like, yeah, I want that. I, I want, unless you're some kind of spiritual masochist, okay? And so we understand that. So it's this idea of where it's difficult. You're going against uh, the culture. L- let me tell you, if you follow Christ, if you determine, if you make a choice at the end of this to follow Christ, let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to be ridiculed and you're going to be persecuted while being called narrow-minded, divisive, ignorant, and judgmental. All of those things. And can I just tell you something? I don't like to be called those things. I don't like to be called narrow-minded. I don't like to be called divisive. I don't like to become ignorant or called ignorant or, or judgmental. I don't like any of those things. And so what I begin to do, and you may begin to do this, is when those things begin to come, oftentimes I try to find a way, how do I water this down and make it this more palatable for everybody around me? Now, let me make sure we understand something. We are not to have a spirit of narrow-mindedness, a spirit of divisiveness, a spirit of ignorance, or or a judgmental spirit. Do you understand that? There's a way to do these things and propagate the gospel. You're not sitting there going, turn or burn, you're going to hell. We're not talking about that. We want to be merciful and loving and caring and telling everyone, it doesn't matter what sins you have, come, come, come to him. There's only one way, but come to him. We're all the same. We're dealing with different sins, but all come the same way because we can only enter in the same way. And that is for all of us to abandon our sinful lifestyles and what it is that we say that, we're, that, that we want and place our faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ. But here's what's interesting to me as I read the scriptures, is when you read the scriptures, no matter what you want to do, when you read the scriptures, it is very much what a secular world is saying that the gospel is. You and I often try to argue against it. You know how Jesus deals with this? When we say... When we're trying to get a grant from all of those accusations 
from all of those arguments, from all those things that people say against Christianity, we try to get out of it. What Jesus does is he embraces it. The world says Christianity is narrow-minded. Jesus goes, yeah, that's right. I'm the way, truth, and life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. It's narrow-minded. If you call that narrow-minded, that's right, it's narrow-minded. Somebody comes and says Christianity is divisive. And we sit there, no, 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 it's not. And then Jesus comes and he says, that's correct. Mark 10, 34, 35. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against his mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, you know exactly what that means. What it means is when you choose Jesus, you begin to kind of have a hard time really walking with those who don't. Even a father or mother will abandon you because of your faith that you place in Jesus Christ. It's not something that you want. It's the natural outcome of faith and following, entering into a different gate. Jesus says, the world says Christianity is ignorant. I love this. Jesus says, well, yes, it is to some. To the Jews, it is a stumbling block. And to the Greek, it is foolishness. And if you don't think that it sounds foolish, you need to stop listening with ears of faith and actually listen to yourself. Hey, you want to go to heaven? Heaven? Hey, uh, believe in this dead guy that rose on the third day. It sounds a little weird. Okay, all right. Would you agree? You're like, no, I would never say that. Here's what we would say. The, the scriptures tell us in St. Corinthians, it tells us that that message, that gospel message, is the aroma of death who are per, to, to perishing, but it is a sweet aroma to those who believe in Christ. W- would you agree with that? And so what we see is we see the distinction. And finally, somebody would say, listen, uh, they would go on and they say, you know, Christianity is judgmental. Jesus would say, right on, I'm going to come and I am the judge and I will separate the wheat and the chaff and I will separate the goats and, and the sheep and I will send some on into heaven and the others, I will give them what it is that they deserve and that is a judgment in hell for all eternity. Is it all of those things? Jesus says yes. It's like every accusation, every problem that people bring up against Christianity that you and I feel uncomfortable about, Jesus says yes, 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 yes. The only accusation and the only problem that a lost world brings and presents to Christianity that we do not agree with is that it's unloving. And that's what the world would ultimately say to the gospel. If they will say that there is only one way, and you saying that there is only way, one way, and that's through Jesus Christ, that is unloving. Here's what we understand according to the word of God. What is loving is the fact that God was willing to save any, or to make any way, or to make a way. The fact that he demonstrated and made a way to save sinful people is an incredible act of love, especially since there is no greater love than this, that he who lays his life down for another. Now, what's amazing to me about this whole idea is that people will sit there and go, well, one way is unloving and it's uncaring. Jesus would ultimately object. The whole word of God would object, especially in Paul's writing, when he says, we know that God loves us in this, that while we were yet sinners, finish it with me, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. It's not unloving that God made one way. It is loving that he made a way. For him to be able to give up his one son, his one son who loved him perfectly in an absolute perfection for people who hated him and rebelled against him perfectly is an extraordinary act of love. 
on his behalf. And so what he says here, and I want you to note this. Look, it's, it's hard. It's, it's difficult to be able to enter in this way. It's hard. It's, it's not easy. Now, it's, it's all faith in Christ. It's all the completed work of Jesus, but we have to make a decision, right? We have, you have to make a choice. Which one is it going to be? You're going to choose a life unto God. You're going to choose a life unto the world. Choose a life unto God. You repent and you believe in the person of Jesus Christ and you follow him from this point on, understanding that great suffering, great difficulty lays ahead. It's the way that God has called us to. Well, you know, I was thinking about this and I was thinking about, well, Mike, how are you going to sell this to the people? Well, I'm really not trying to sell anything. But I, but I think it's interesting that when the disciples, at one point in Jesus' ministry, you've heard me allude to this before, when a really huge crowd began to follow Jesus because they wanted physical bread from him and they didn't want to work, they just wanted an easy meal during that day, they're willing to be able to follow him, make my life easy. Jesus turns around and he says, it's not going to be easy. He goes, in fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to command, I know your hearts, I know why you're here, you want physical bread, I'm not going to give you that bread, but I will give you uh, the living bread. And he goes, and to understand, to take part in me, you're going to have to eat of my flesh and you're going to have to drink of my blood. All of a sudden, that huge crowd <laughs> scatters. The only ones that are left are his disciples, and I love their response. He says, you too, are you going to go? Are you going to leave me as well? Are you going to take off? And they go, where else are we going to go? Only you have the words of eternal life. And this is what happens in the heart of every believer that God is regenerating and working in. It, it, it does, it, this thing that seems so strange, it so, sounded like this stench of death, repulsive, ridiculous, now is this sweet aroma. Even the suffering is a sweet aroma because we know that it's a demonstration that we're in Christ Jesus. Another way of saying what Paul says here is he's saying that this life, as difficult as it is, is worth it. It's worth it. Let me close with this. This is how Paul says. Paul says, as I look back in my life and see all that I had to give up, my position, my education, my role, my prestige, I was working my way up you know, in, in this religious system. When I look all that and I gave it up, all of that is like dung. All that I valued, listen to me, was as garbage compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ. Then he looks forward and as he looks forward to, the, to, to being with Christ and being in the presence of God, in the midst of his suffering greatly, shipwrecks, being beaten, being persecuted in every imaginable way, he's being stoned, he sits there and he says, for I am convinced that the sufferings of this very time, the hard road, are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed to us in Christ Jesus. Worth it. So we come to the end of our sermon. And I know that there are many of you who have been coming for quite some time. And we preach the gospel every single week. There are some of you in here today that must make a decision. You cannot just be coming to church and, and thinking, well, this is good, I'll get a little bit of religion. That is very much the broad way. It's the wide path. You must today make a definitive decision within your heart of hearts that you will repent and place your faith in Christ and you will follow him. And you will follow the difficult path. We understand that that's a call. You need to be saved. You need to be born again. That needs to happen. It needs to happen today. 
No more being double-minded. No more trying to do both. You're either in or you're out. If you're trying to do both, then you're not in. It's the broad road. It's not the narrow road that you're on. But for each of us, for those even who are born again, it's not just a definitive once and for all decision we make to follow Christ. You guys know as well, those who are truly born again, it's also a daily decision. And, and, and in my life, all through this week, I kept thinking to myself, is there's an area in my life, thoughts in my head, there's, there, there's things that I do and participate in that looks far more like I'm on the wide road than if I'm on the narrow road. That I'm on the easy road and I'm taking the easy way rather than the hard way. And what I would say for us is there's either an initial repentance and belief in Christ and calling out for salvation or there's a continued repentance and coming back and saying, God, I know that you are the only way, but yet I'm living in a way that looks like I'm back and forth. I repent of it and I submit to your lordship. Which will it be for you today? I'm going to ask Nick to come. I'm just going to ask us to take just a moment to pray and we'll close out. He's going to be...